Thanks for listening to this week's message. We want to hear what God is doing in your life through the ministry of Res Life Holland. If you have a testimony, please email us at info at To learn more about us or to contribute to this ministry financially, check us out on Facebook or visit rlcholland.com. Before I get started on the word this morning, I have something else that's on my heart that I've just got to share with you. I, you know, one of the things that I really love about the particular calling that I have in the working world is that I get to talk to people uh, a lot. I get to hear a lot of things that a pastor doesn't necessarily get to hear from his position. And so I hear a lot of conversations, I read a lot of things, and there's some like recurring things that I'll run across that really bother me on the inside. See... I have uh, a shepherd's call on my life for shepherding the flock. And a lot of times that for a pastor is, is in teaching, feeding the flock. But sometimes a shepherd has got to take up the slingshot and the staff and he's got to confront the wolves that are coming in for the sheep. And so I know that I'm not the greatest preacher but I do know my word. And I do know the calling that I have for truth and to protect the body from what isn't true. And so I'll hear things out there that continue to, to nag at me because they're used to justify wrong doctrine, things that end up leading Christians down the wrong path that deceive them, that trap them, that cause them to fall into a roadside ditch. I don't know if you guys remember the commercial that they used to have for DirecTV, don't fall into a roadside ditch. You probably don't, but if you do, I used to think of it like that. Christians getting led down the wrong path and end up getting beat up and end up in a roadside ditch. So I'll hear things like, Jesus was a rebel. And I'll hear that used to justify some kind of thinking. Social gospel, um, accepting some kind of sin that's out there. I'll hear things like... Um, Jesus hung out with sinners, you know, because after all, it's okay because Jesus hung out with sinners. Or we can't judge that or, or be against that because that's not God's love. We need to be loving and accepting. And it just nags at me. But then I kept talking to the Lord, like I kept hearing him saying something to me to speak about that a little bit, but how do you talk about it? And then I heard this really great commercial it's called straight from Straight Talk Wireless. Are you guys familiar with hearing some of their commercials? I mean, they're talking about the cell phone plans where you get trapped into a monthly or into a, some kind of a contract. They've got a whole bunch of them, and they're pretty funny. But there's one of them that I loved in particular. The guy comes on, and he goes, America, are you ready for some straight talk? There's no good way to fold a fitted sheet. <laughs> Nobody really likes kale. And then the rest of it was something to do with the cell phone plan, which I won't get into because I have friends and family that sell cell phone plans. So I have nothing to say on that. But, you know, no one, there's no good way to fold a fitted sheet. Well, there's all kinds of videos out there that show you how to do it the right way. And everybody knows somebody who can tell you that they know how to do it right. But when you try to do it, right, you just, it doesn't work, right? And Kale, now you all know with me being vegan... 
Got to have kale and everything, right? Nobody really likes kale. And I just love it, man. Just say it straight out. So as I was struggling with this stuff, with the truth in the gospel, yeah, rest life, are you ready for some straight talk? Yes. Jesus was not a rebel. He did not hang out with sinners. And going along with everything that everybody else does is not God's love. Rebels come in opposition to the establishment. Jesus was the establishment. He was in the beginning with God. Everything that was made was made by him. God said, this is how it needs to be done. Then the enemy came and perverted things. Men get involved and come up with their own ways of doing things. God becomes flesh and comes to earth not to create revolution, but to create restoration. Amen. Right? He was not about social gospel. He was not about the events that were going on in the time, the political events that were going on. He was about one thing. What I see the Father do, that's what I do. Amen. What I hear the Father say, that's what I say. Amen. If you found yourself in opposition to him, it was only because you found yourself in opposition to this. Okay, that was it. He hung out with whoever was wanting to follow the Father. We have a situation on there where, yes, he went and he had dinner with tax collectors. He allowed the prostitutes to come. Not in their sin. They left their sin behind. They were so thankful to be set free. They came and they said, please, can we eat with you? He also ate with members of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus is one of them. He ate with Pharisees who also wanted to turn and follow. He was not a respecter of persons because that's the message of the gospel. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you can always come home. Amen. You can't take the gospel to your sin. You can leave your sin behind and come back. That's the gospel message. Right now, there's a form of godliness that denies its power, and it says that love, God's love, doesn't want anybody to feel bad. We should just accept everybody for whatever they are and whatever they do. But that's not God's love. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself in alignment with God's laws, in God's ways. So as Christians... If we're really knowing him, and it's especially hard for me to hear him mischaracterized because I know him. But as Christians, if we know him, we're not out telling people, we hate you. We hate you. God hates you. You're on your way to burn in hell. That's not what any Christian does. God hates sin because sin destroys people's lives. He made us for a purpose. He sent his son to redeem us and to bring us out of all of that stuff. People that are tied up and bound in sin do not need Christians piling on them. They're already paying the price for the bondage. They need Christians to reflect the light of Jesus. There were plenty of people around Jesus Christ that were lost in sin and in bondage. Jesus didn't take his time to go find them and to let them know about it. But he carried that light of the Father everywhere. And people left their sin and came to the Father. And we are the representation of Jesus Christ in this world. That's who we should be. 
We can sit next to somebody whose life is completely despicable and they should not know anything other than the love of God from us. We're not joining their sin, but they should not also feel like they couldn't come along with us to pursue the Father. That's not my message for today. But it's, it's so on my heart. I'm thinking of even doing a series in the fall of doing some just straight talk and just tackling each one of these things and showing in the scripture why this really isn't the case and why it's destroying people. That was free. First Peter chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn to First Peter chapter 2. I have a message here again for another thing that's on my heart from talking with people. I'm just going to dive right into this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Peter says to the believers, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. By malice, it's really just a big Greek word that means all kinds of wickedness. For deceit is talking about how we use our words to get our own way. Hypocrisy, the word in that Greek in there is for pretense. Just pretending to be something that you're not. Envying is when I begrudge the fact that you have something that I don't have. And slander is talking down people. These, place, these kinds of things, this behavior doesn't have any place in the church. There's no room for it in the church. So Peter says, get rid of that stuff and then like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk. So that you may grow up, by it you may grow up in your salvation. The, this craves pure spiritual milk. The milk of the word is what the New American Standard says, of God's word. Because Peter had established at the end of chapter 1 that the word of God abides forever. It does not fail. And anyone who has had a baby knows that when it's time to eat, that baby wants to eat. And there's no substitute when that baby wants to eat. Verse 3 is, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, or as other translations will say, you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, the graciousness of the Lord, which is that we have salvation. Now, in the original language, that's actually an if statement. Do these things if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And as you know, I, I like to take apart those if statements, right? So this is an if of the first class, which if you guys remember, anybody remember? Come on, it's a grammar lesson. In the Greek, ifs of the first class are assumed to be true, which means if something or other, and it's true. And so it says in here, since desire that, that crave that, that pure spiritual milk, if you have tasted the graciousness of the Lord, and you have. And so the NIV just simply says it for you, now that you have tasted it. But I just want to point that out, that it's in there. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He was that chief cornerstone. Cornerstones on a big building are the most important stone. Many of you have probably heard somebody preaching on this before, how they have to be the exact right size. They have to be cut just perfectly. They are the most important stone of the entire building. If they're laid correctly, 
all the other lines from that point will be true. The foundation will be solid and will be true. Jesus Christ was the chief cornerstone. But humanity had its own expectations of what it wanted in a Messiah, in a chief cornerstone. Having examined this chief cornerstone, mankind rejected it. But he was chosen by God. Precious to God. He is our chief cornerstones. And then each one of us is a stone in his building. And we are being brought together and assembled by God for his purposes. It says that we are a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the days of Jesus, only the priests could go into the presence of the Lord. They're the only ones who are offering sacrifices. But we now can go directly into his presence. That makes us priests. And what kind of sacrifices do we offer? It's in how we live our life. When we forgive, and we don't want to. When we show kindness to somebody in Jesus' name. These things that we do living out the life are sacrifices to God. And they're the thing that God really wants from us. Verse 6, for in Scripture it says... See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That's our Jesus Christ. Verse 7, now to you who believe the stone is precious, but those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse 8, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. For those of us who believe He's precious to us, but to those that don't. The words in the Greek on there say that they see, they refuse to believe. They refuse to believe. Have you ever tried to convince somebody of something that's true and they simply will not listen? You could drag a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. A number of years ago when I was a youth pastor, I remember just praying for my youth and the Lord was showing me that no matter how I brought the message, no matter how great a message I thought I was bringing, I can't make my young people drink of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit's the only one that can do that. Amen. I can't preach good enough. The Holy Spirit is the one that will bring them and make them drink. So to those who refuse to believe, he becomes the opposite. He becomes a snare and a trap. A lot of times we find ourselves being opposed by these people who... Man, they're bitter against God. They're bitter against Jesus. Many of the people that try to use Jesus to justify some kind of sin by saying he's a rebel or by saying that he hung out with sinners, so a lot of these people are people that have been ensnared. And they have a hardness toward the Lord because they've refused to believe in the truth. In verse 8, it continues, the second half of that says, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Verse 9. This is the good stuff. This is why we're in here today. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Res life, that's us. A chosen people. 
Too many times, I'm talking with Christians and I'll hear things like, well, I'm not where I want to be in the Lord. I'm following the Lord, but I'm, I'm just not quite there yet. I can't really bring myself to say that like I'm there, but I'm, I'm on the way. Res Life, I want to tell you, there's no on the way. What Paul outlined when he talked about the gospel wasn't the message that said that you start from here and you just gradually get over there and you'll eventually get there and get saved. You were lost. Now you're not. Let me say it again. You were lost. Now you're not. Because it's not what we say, it's what we do. It's our life. When we are saved, we made the choice that that life of sin that I was in, I'm not doing that anymore. I am living the way he lives. It tells us in the epistles of 1 John that if we know him, we'll live like he lives. The one who claims to know him and continues to live in sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if we know him, we ought to live like he lives. So we make that choice. And when we make that choice that that's who we're going to be, we're here, not there. That means that if you're a man in this room here, you are a man of God. If you're a woman in here, you are a woman of God. I can't believe how difficult it is for people to say, I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. It's like we can't. We just, because we've got to be perfect, we can't ever be perfect enough. I was at a men's conference a long time ago. And they, they wanted us to get used to even understanding that we were a man of God. So if you had something to say, you had to stand up and give your name and then say, I'm a man of God. So if I was to get up, I had to get up and go, hi, my name is Sean, I'm a, and I am a man of God. Another person would get up and say, yes, I'm Pete, I am a man of God, and then say whatever it is. We need to declare the truth. Amen. Res Life, are you ready for some straight talk? You are chosen of God. You are royalty. You have destiny. You need to know that. Look in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had, have not, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. For those of you who have heard me preach before and heard me talking about the Greek... I've talked about the perfect tense of the verb. Another grammar lesson, but it's the kind of grammar lesson that makes a difference to us. Because in this case here, again, it's in the perfect. It says, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And that word doesn't mean you are the people of God today, but you might not be tomorrow. The perfect means you are a people of God, that's it, it's done, okay? You know, when I take my apple pie and I put it in the oven and I bake it, it's baked. When I take it out, it's baked. You know, a week later, if I still haven't eaten it, it's still baked. Okay, that is not a, some raw apple pie. That is a baked pie. It's baked. It's done. Okay? You were not a people, but you are now the people of God. It's done. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do not believe the lie from the enemy that says... Oh, there you go again. You're lost. God's not with you. God can't use you. You're making mistakes. 
That is not true. Res Life, I want you to say this with me. Repeat after me. I am chosen. I am royalty. I have destiny. Amen. Men, repeat after me. I am a man of God. Women, I am a woman of God. You need to know it. You need to declare it. Every day when you start your day, remind yourself, I'm chosen of God. I belong to him. You may be in here today. Maybe you've said that to yourself. I'm not where I want to be. I'm following the Lord, but I'm not where I want to be, so I can't be used by him. Today, you can hear the Holy Spirit telling you that's not true. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Maybe you're in here today and you were younger, you felt like God wanted you to do something, but you didn't do it. For whatever reason, maybe you thought you weren't good enough, maybe you thought the timing wasn't right, maybe you just never got around to doing it, but you thought, you know, now it's too late for me. There's somebody else that's doing it, somebody better. God doesn't want to use me in that way anymore. Res life, that's not true. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. You were chosen. In verse 10 there it said, I'm sorry, it was in verse 9, it said that you were God's special possession. In the Greek it means his private possession. You belong to him. He didn't choose you and then just set you off to the side. And remember that there's no buyer's remorse with God. He doesn't buy any one of us back from sin and then go, whoops, made a mistake on that one. He doesn't do that. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That thing that the Lord put in your heart is still there. He still wants to use you in that way today. He wants you to know you are chosen no matter what the enemy has told you. You are chosen, you are royal, you have a destiny, and you can live out exactly what it is he's called you to do today. He wants you to know that today.